0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to see what you'd have us to see. And as we look in the the numbers with the purification and the dedication that the people are making of the camp and the preparation for moving from Sinai, and we just thank you and ask you to guide and lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Numbers chapter 5. Still in Sinai. Been there for a year. Verse 1, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and every one that has an issue, and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Both male and female shall you put out, without the camp shall you put them, that they defile not their camps in the midst thereof I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, and put them out without the camp, as the Lord spoke unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. All right, we're going to stop there, because that's the end of this first paragraph. Uh, This should sound familiar because when we studied Leviticus and Exodus, we had laws on lepers and the the, the issues and being defiled by the dead. Uh, So this should be somewhat familiar. Uh, The rule on the lepers, they were kicked out. (laughs) And leprosy was something that in those days you did not get over. Uh, It really led to death. It wasn't the leprosy itself that caused the death but the fact that it killed off your feelings so that you could cut your fingers off and never even know that you had cut your fingers. Uh, Animals could nibble at night on your fingers and chew them away, and you would never know that they were being chewed on. You could touch a hot stove, the hot pan on the stove, which if you had feeling would have said, pull it back real quick, end up with first degree burns on your hand because you do not feel it. Uh, In today's world, we can cure. Uh, leprosy with high doses of antibiotics, and that day they they could not do that, so they were they were to be kicked out. And remember, there were some rules that if they somehow managed to get healed, they could get be inspected and 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 place their offerings and and the offering showed Jesus and the releasing of the of the bird. And do you remember the offering at all for the lepers? They would take two birds in; one would be released, one they'd wring its neck, and they would take the blood from the neck and and offer it and then they would offer it. Uh, and everyone that has an issue and this issue is running sores and we talked about how that was from the sexual diseases that they that they were that they were that they might have and they were to be put aside from the camp because it was infectious and God knew that. And whoever is defiled by the dead. Now this is the one that is going to be the hardest because they're kicked out for a short time. How long are you, how long are you unclean when you touch a dead body? Does anybody remember
1: till sundown?
0: Till sundown. So you would be you touch a dead body, you were sent outside the camp until the sun went down, then you could come back. Okay? But again, the idea that there might have been some infection, some some disease that that person carried, so you were set outside the camp and and basically in quarantine. All right. And so and then he goes, it doesn't matter whether male or female, they were to be sent out of the camp to protect their camp. And this is God's way of protecting his people and for us as Christians we want to be around the lost world but we don't you know and I've said this over and over we don't want them to be our best friends the lost world shouldn't be our best friends because they're going to lead us away from God more often than toward God but we also don't want to be so separated from the lost world that we have nobody to evangelize and this is the problem when people have been a Christian for a long time or they move to a new area and they're a Christian. They make friends in church and don't really get to, unless they do something outside of church relations, they don't get to meet a lot of lost people. And that's part of, part of what my problem is. I, I moved here to Kingman and I worked at home and went to church. I, didn't, I don't have a lot of friends out there that are lost. And... And I miss it because I don't have a lot of opportunities to share the gospel with anybody. I've got some family members that aren't saved I get to share with once in a while. But they've heard it so many times they don't want to hear it anymore. So I only bring it up if they kind of lead into that direction. But the camp needs to be protected. Our life needs to be protected. And I'm not saying we totally isolate ourselves from the world, but we... But it isn't your, your best friend. The one you hang out with you know, 24-7 as your friend shouldn't be the lost world because they will drag you away from God. And then said that they did what God told them. Verse 5, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. When a man or a woman shall commit any sin that men commit and do trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty... Then they shall confess their sins, sin which they have done and he shall recompense his tra- trespass with the principle thereof and add unto it a fifth part thereof and give it to him against whom he has trespassed. And if a man has no kinsman to recompense the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the Lord even to the priest beside the ram of the atonement whereby an atonement shall be made for him. And every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring unto the priest shall be his, and every man's hallowed thing shall be his. Whatsoever any man gives to the priest, it shall be his. All right, so we're going to look. God is now, remember, God's preparing his people to go out. Moses has trained the Levites in Leviticus. He trained the people in all through Exodus. Now he's going through and he's kind of reviewing the high points of what you're going to do. He's saying, basically, I've told you about these sins now. (laughs) Here's the quick overview. And then when we we get to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is all a whole repeat of Exodus. Uh, And it's Moses' last statement to the people because he's not going to get to go into the promised land. So here in in verse 6, it says, Speaking to the children of Israel, when a man or a woman shall commit any sin that men commit, to do trespass against the Lord and that person be guilty. We're gonna stop there because there's a lot in there. If somebody commits, they, they do a sin that men that that men do, okay, basically it's saying people are of the flesh, they're going to sin. Okay? And it also brings out the fact that there is nothing new. There is no new sin out there. Nothing, nothing is surprising and we've talked about this as we've gone through Exodus and Leviticus, all the sins that God gave commandments against, you know, we kind of think they're new in our day you know, because they've been refreshed and rebrought out, but they've always been there. There's nothing new under the sun is what Ecclesiastes tells us. Every sin that's happened is, has happened, does happen, and will happen in the future. They may give it a different name, they may dress it up a little bit differently, but it is in full existence. Pornography is advanced from, you know, you had to go into the dark corners of these stores to get the magazines. Now you can look at them on the computers. But way back in the Roman and Greek days, the pornographic images were carved into the stones and put into the buildings that, that were of were, uh, the sex trade. And they were very graphic. They were, and so it's nothing new. Nothing is new when we look at this. And God is saying, when you trespass, look, and you want to catch this, and do a trespass against the Lord. Any sin is actually against the Lord. We may think that we're hurting somebody else if we steal from them or lie to them or, or uh, covet what they have, but the one that we're really committing this uh, transgra- uh, transgression against is God. And this is what David said. Remember what David said in, in Psalm 51 after, after he'd had adultery with Bathsheba, murdered Uriah, he went to the Lord and he said, against you and you only have I sinned. And you're going to think, well, hold it, no, what about about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about Uriah's family? But according to this verse, even here in, in Numbers, sin is against God. He's the one that puts the rules out there. He's put the rules out there, so when we violate the rules, we're sinning against him. And this is where it's very important for us to to understand that and see and truly understand that when I do something wrong, the one that I'm doing it against is God. Now others may get hurt and they need to be apologized to, but the sin, the transgression, the one who can demand punishment is God. And we want to be able to understand that. And this is why he tells us to forbear with one another. Even though I have a right to demand judgment against you, God says, forbear, give up that right to demand that judgment. Love them. You know, be kind to them. You know, Jesus raised our standard pretty high. Now, When he says, love your enemies, do good to those to do bad things to you. <laughs> the right word has jumped right out of my head for some reason. But, and he says that we're to love those. And I will tell you the hardest thing to do is to love somebody who hates you and is doing things against you. And we all know that. And yet Jesus says, love them. Love your enemies. Do good to those who are are doing bad things to you. And our flesh cringes when we hear that statement. Our flesh says, what is this commandment? How can we do this? We can only do it through the love of God and through him controlling us. People, when we act that way, the people look at us, number one, they think we're crazy because we're not trying to retaliate. But they also understand that there's something different about us because we're not acting the way they expect. And this is important for us. As Christians, we have the power of God in us and we need to live out a life that shows his love. And I've said it over and over, it is not easy to do. It gets easier the more we practice it and the more we do it. But then God just puts people that are much more unloving and much more unloving a nice to us. <laughs> but it's still all part of the test yeah. that God's got, got in but our place.
1: No matter how nice you get, then they're getting worse.
0: But again, who are they, who are they offending? They're offending according to God. They're offending Him.
1: But I have to take the brunt
0: of it. Yeah. But, but God is the one that's being truly offended. Lives,
1: they're not thinking of
0: it. They're, but it doesn't matter what they're thinking of. When they stand before God, God is going to say, you harmed me. You were going against me. Because usually who they, what they're against in us is the God they're seeing in us. If we did not represent God to them, we probably wouldn't have the problem with them in the first place. They're seeing God and they're pushing back against God because the flesh does not like to be in the presence of God. And just think about this. If you're living in sin and a sin and you're a Christian and, you're, and you have a sin in your life, are you really anxious to open the Bible and have God talk to you from the Bible? No. Are you real anxious about getting into the presence of God's people in church? No. No. Usually what ends up happening is if you're in a place where you're sinning consistently, I mean, not just, um. not just one sin, but you're keeping a sin, usually the last thing you want to do is be around God's people. The last thing you want to do is be in His Word. And I've said it over and over. I've watched people over 44 years slip further and further away from church because when they're around the church they're in God's presence and conviction comes upon them and unless they're ready to repent that conviction will do one of two things they'll run away from it or they'll strike out against it one or the other will happen and the world usually strikes out against it Christians usually run away from it because they don't want they know they're wrong the world doesn't understand what's going on so they strike out against the person who is bringing Christ into the in situation,
1: the person. Well, you can't judge them on certain things, but you. But they never go to church, and they never talk about God, and they never express it. So, but then, God says to love them.
0: To love them anyway, because love is what will actually win somebody in the long run.
1: Mm-hmm. Love my sister, just that. It's,
0: it's the same thing for. For, for me as a pastor, I want to give people as much grace as I can because I know that grace will win people more than me trying to pile on a bunch of laws. I could come into everybody and say, here's what the Bible says, get your life, get your life straight. But that's not going to win people's hearts. It never does. It really makes them feel condemned, if nothing else, because they read the Bible and it says, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, and they end up getting condemned if they're not in the right spirit.
1: And then I have to keep quit thinking this way, like... I don't really know. Only God knows about the other person. So you you're saying anything, but you really don't know.
0: And we don't know. We never do know. Yeah. Unless you know every, you know, and this is true. We know nothing unless we know everything. Yeah. Okay, God knows everything. He is everywhere at the same time. He is every time at the same time. And so he knows everything.
1: And I have to keep thinking of that like I can't be judging that on certain right. things because I don't
0: know, only God does. Yep. There's, a lo- there's a principle in logic and science that says we don't know anything absolutely because we can't say that something doesn't exist because we're not everywhere at the same time because, yeah. because well, we you could be looking in this room and th- find it not here and then I could move it into this room as you go to the next room and you're going to look around and say, well, I never found it so it doesn't exist and I'm going, well, here it is. But God can tell us whether something exists or doesn't exist because he's everywhere at the same moment. So, very important for us to understand this, and, and God says just to love people.
1: And then I think when people, or I, or whatever, say certain things, it's like, I'm not God, so I do not know, but I think, oh, well, I know this person, he's doing this. No, I don't, but how your your brain always thinks that, I think that's Satan. The idea.
0: It's the flesh. It's the yeah. flesh saying, I know things. Uh, yeah. I know how this person has acted for the last 20 years that I've known them, so, so I know I know it. how they're going to react this next time. Well, there's probably about a 90% chance that I'm right, but yeah. if God has gotten involved in their life, you might have a whole different uh, situation happen, like, like anybody.
1: Yeah.
0: But because I
1: pray we, that He is getting in the person's life, really, really, really do.
0: But we're told to not know people after the flesh. Mm -hmm. Because when we become a Christian, God makes us a new creation, and he crucifies the flesh over time. And so we don't know if that person may have been a Christian for a long time and has finally come around and and had their flesh crucified. We don't know if they've recently become a Christian and got their flesh crucified. And our goal is just to show the love of God to people. Because the love of God is what wins people. And the pro- process here is most people know that they're not really loved by, by, by people because we can't love people unconditionally. You know, there's just no way. We can come close, we can choose to love somebody and, and come as close to con- un- uh, um, unconditional love as possible. And sometimes, you know, with our kids, we'll be close to that, you know, sometimes. <laughs> Hopefully, with our spouse, <laughs> we're learning. We're learning unconditional love. But God is the only one that can love unconditionally. And the key to this is we get victory, we get understanding because we understand that God loves us. And it says in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. We don't even know what love is until we come to God, truly. Which is why so many relationships end badly because people don't know what love truly is you'll hear things like well just follow your feelings they'll 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 teach you well your feelings will eventually lead you out of a relationship because you don't feel like you're in a relationship feelings will teach you know if we followed our feelings we'd have murders everywhere because everybody at some point in their life gets angry enough to want to commit murder Yeah, it's it's because we follow our common sense and say, no, it's not a good idea to murder this person that I'm really angry with at the moment. And and by the way, it really wasn't worth it. But everybody is probably, I think everybody, I can't think of anybody who probably hasn't had a feeling of being so angry that if they were following their feelings in that moment, they would have killed somebody and then what the heck did I do? It wasn't even worth doing, you know, once our mind got caught up with us.
1: Well, what I think, I don't use that word. I didn't think I would say we gone. Wrath. <laughs> that's the word wrath. Wrath. But that could be anything. Yeah, meaning.
0: But that's why it's so important so I, for us I, to sit with God.
1: Chicken when I come. <laughs> we sit
0: with God and we allow him to control our emotions. We allow his, his truth to reign over us. And this is why it's important for us to understand his word and get grounded in his word, get grounded in him, so that when... When the flesh flares up, the spirit comes along and says, "No, let's keep your, let's get you back on the cross where you belong, and we'll we'll love this person." Because I can guarantee you, in our flesh, we don't want to love people unless we get something out of it. But when you know we, but God says, "Love them." In the long run, we might get something out of them; they might become a Christian. But that's not how we're to be thinking about that love. But that love is what people see. And people want to see love. They don't understand it. They don't understand it when somebody gives them love. And sometimes it freaks people out when they're actually truly loved. Because it's so contrary to what they would do or what has been their experience in their life. And they freak out and they go crazy because I don't know how to handle this person. They're, they're, they're strange. <laughs> you know, keep away from me. I don't know what you want. I don't know why you're being nice to me. And eventually they may realize it's the love of God being reached out to them and touching them and saying, I want to know people the way God knows them. I want to see them the way God sees them. And this is the way we're to see one another, we're to build one another up, we're to edify one another, we're to encourage one another. And we want to be careful because it is so easy to get negative about somebody. It is so easy to get negative about somebody. And... And I fall into it myself at times. You know, I try to hold back a lot, and you, know, but you know, and you sometimes you'll you hear me say we need to pray for that person when I'm hearing a lot of negativity about somebody. We pray for that person because that's what they need. And so, when you find yourself being negative about somebody or you know your thoughts about them, just start praying for them more. If you're really a negative about them, then you're going to be praying for them a lot. <laughs> so pray for them. You know, basically, sit God on them. Let Him go get them. Corrected. Because he's the only one that really can. I
1: think God I give you this person in your hand. Leave me something. Yep. Yeah. Please. It's not in my hands. It's in your hands, God. I know you deal me. with it, not me.
0: All right, verse seven. They shall confess their sin which they have done, and he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add a fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he has trespassed. So here we are, we're got if you're guilty, you're to confess your sin. And confess your sin means literally to agree with God that it is a sin. Okay? And, or acknowledge that, the fact that it's a sin. This is part of salvation. We've got to recognize that we are a sinner. Okay? And because I recognize that I am a sinner, now I can say, God, I, you know, I do deserve punishment. Thank you for paying the price. So here it is. If you've sinned against somebody, first thing to do is confess. Acknowledge that I have sinned primarily to God and, if possible, to the person that, you know, the person that you have offended. Okay, you've sinned against God, but you've offended somebody. So you want to confess them. Will everybody always confess their sins? No. So don't, don't expect it. know, don't go take this verse and say, okay, these people have sinned against me. I'm waiting for their waiting for them to confess. Don't get it out of your mind. You, you take care of the ones you've offended. Confess to them and let God bring this other part.
1: You took the words right out of my mouth. I'll just to right say that.
0: <laughs> but, uh, because if we are expecting and waiting for somebody to confess their harm on us, we're going to have a lot of bad feelings for a long time because we're going to be sitting there waiting for something that may never happen. And it's the same thing when we're dealing with people, and, I, and this is why I keep bringing it up, sinners sin. If I have in the back of my mind somehow that this person is not going to do something that's going to offend me, not going to do something to make me mad, I'm going to be disappointed and angry with a lot of people all the time. And this is not a good place to be. We know, you know, we know that the world sins, but people oftentimes will come into the church situation and say, well, these people are Christians. They're not going to, they're not going to sin. I don't know how anybody comes up with this concept because, you know, that the minute you step in the door, you're still a sinner. And unless you've lied to yourself and say you don't, you don't sin, you, you should expect others to sin just, you know, as much as you do. And so this is why we need to be careful. We cannot expect people not to sin. And I've said this over and over. This is why I'm not surprised. I'm not hurt when people sin because I know that they're sinners and it all goes back to having a full understanding of Genesis the first 11 chapters of Genesis are all all the foundations people are sinners they are bad the founding fathers in America they knew they wanted a very very weak centralized federal government because they knew that the government would be made up of human beings human beings are sinners human beings with power will try to grab more power And they knew that eventually the the government would be corrupt. Now, here we are 200 plus years later, and our government is becoming very corrupt and thinks it can do anything and whatever it wants, and the people are letting them do that. And our founding fathers knew. They knew that republics didn't work. Okay, When they set it up, they knew that a republic didn't work. They also knew that for a short time it was one of the best forms of government. But they knew that it wouldn't work. God's way of setting up a government is with a king, with Him being the king. A benevolent dictatorship is the absolute best government, but you don't have benevolent dictators ever. <laughs> Whoever's in charge usually becomes a despot and rules and 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 tries to use everybody and everything. So the only true God that could be a good king, a king, a good king would be God Himself, and so that is what we're looking for. The Millennial Kingdom will be a monarchy with him ruling as king. And our eternity will be a monarchy with God ruling as king. So we want to be looking at that. And always remember, people are sinners and they will tend to do evil things. Now, Christian sinners still tend to do evil things, but not not hopefully not as much if they're being touched by God and and being crucified in the flesh and, and growing. And you know that this is true in your own lives. The more you grow in Christ, the more of your flesh that's crucified, the less of your current sins you do and you find new sins to commit. And then you'll, God will crucify those and you'll do less of those ones and you'll find new things that come up into your, into your heart. And this will be the case for the rest of your life. You will always come up and God will show you, even if you don't start new sins, He'll show you other areas of your life that are sin, sinful. So, we are on a perpetual plan for God to clean up our life. And he starts out with the biggest problems. Whatever our biggest problems are, he starts with those and then he works down. And you eventually get to the place where maybe the things he's working for you are in your mind and your mental attitudes. And those can be a lot harder to correct than... than if, you're, if you're a pathological liar, that's pretty easy to clean up because everybody knows when, you know, and catches you when you lie. But if you have a bad attitude in your heart... And God's saying, okay, it's time to work on this. There may not be anybody in, the, in, the, in your existence that knows that you have those bad feelings because you've done a good job keeping them in check. You're not saying anything. You're not, you are know, but your mind, Your first thing that pops into your mind is, boy, I just want to kill them. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be very nice to them. But you have all these bad feelings about them as you're doing all this. And God eventually says, okay, now we're going to clean this up. We're going to get good attitude toward, the, you know, toward people. And he keeps working on this. And, and I'm hoping that you all are seeing this. You know, things that were, you used to think were big sins are, are kind of out of your life, and, you're, and God is working on things you never even thought were sins when you first started walking with Him. And he says, okay, now you can't do this. <laughs> you, know, you can't do that. You can't do this. You know, he says, pray for your leaders. Are you, are you tearing apart and beating up your, uh, the leaders, or are you praying for them? And God says, uh, now it's time for you to pay attention to this verse. You can't beat up your you can't beat up your leaders. You got to pray for them, and believe me, I went through that myself back in the Bill Clinton days, which I hated the guy. Still don't particularly care for him, but I was always you know running him down. And God really got to me one day, and He said. Are you even praying for him? No, God. I'm not praying for that idiot. I don't even like him. I don't want him to be president. John Adams. <laughs> yeah, <that> was <laughs> a... democracy. Did you read that? It's, yeah, and that's what that was. Yeah, we'll read it later. But republic or the, the, the democracies can't can't stand with uh, with evil people. Exactly what you were saying. Yep. Uh, but after we confess the sin, then God says we are to give recompense to them. We're to pay back uh, and to restore. And here he said when you restore something, you're to give them the principle, which is what was taken, plus one-fifth or 20%. So if you take something that's worth $100, you were to give back what you took plus $20. Okay, because God's saying there is a cost. When we sin, even though we are forgiven by the blood of Christ and God forgives us, there is still... A consequence for our sin that must be paid. If I take something from somebody, then I should expect, outside of the grace and mercy of God, that I'm going to be punished. And that may mean going to jail, or in this case, you know, you were saying pay back an extra amount above what was stolen. And so this is why we keep ourselves from sin. You know, people will say, well, if you preach grace, everybody will just go out and do everything they want because there's no consequence, you know, there's no consequence. No, there's always a consequence for sin. Mm-hmm. If you go out and you get drunk and you drive your car drunk and you kill somebody, okay, you may be forgiven for the murder by God. You will be forgiven for the murder of God. You might even be forgiven by their family, but you will still end up in jail, mm-hmm. which is a consequence of this, the action. And, or at least should be. And I know how corrupt our government is and our judicial system, and it may or may not happen. But in God's economy, there's a consequence. You do wrong. There is a price to be paid. And it's not hell. It's not not condemnation for the sin, but there is a price to be paid. Somebody who abuses a woman, you know, or rapes a woman, needs to go to jail and, and be punished for it. If they hurt children, they need to be punished and, but, but it is not that they're going to lose, their, lose salvation. They're not, you know, it's not that they, can't, that they aren't going to be forgiven, but there is a consequence for what we do. And there's even simple consequences. We talked about if somebody's pulling away from church, they stop reading their Bible. What kind of consequences do you face there? You pull away from God, you end up usually falling deeper into the world and away from God. And then you usually find yourself in some sin that's dominating your life until you get back with God and get back into His Word, get back in with His people. But you understand the consequence principle? (laughs) You slip away, a consequence is paid. Always. We never want to think, oh, I got away with that. David thought he got away with the adultery and murder until Nathan came and said, you're the man. God knows what you've done and now I know what you've done and we're gonna we're gonna tell you about it and you're guilty. He knew he was guilty. He was already suffering, suffering from the guilt. And then the punishment of, the, of that adultery and that murder was that they lost that first child, was taken, to, taken from them. And so there was a consequence to pay. And in that case, an innocent life was taken because of the consequence that was demanded from his sin. And that's the flip side of the consequences. Sometimes somebody other than us will pay for part of that consequence. And that can make it harder on us than anything that somebody else... Got hurt, especially for us as Christians. And it says, "But if the man has no kin, the trespass reco- recompense shall be recompensed to the Lord, even to the priest beside the ram of atonement, whereby the atonement shall be made." And this goes by: when you sinned, you had to make your atonement to God. And what does atonement mean? At one. At one man to me to be made one. So you had to give restitution and your sin offering okay or your atonement offering so there's there's a cost there's a cost to the to the world and a cost into the spiritual side because here you're offering a ram and a ram was not is not cheap <laughs> even if you raised them the ram was not cheap because you're, there's more female lambs than ram uh, males and so you were offering something very precious because the ram was needed to keep the flock growing and and God is saying you know, that was the cost. And every offering of all holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring into the priest, shall be his. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because of Leviticus. We talked about how their food came from the offerings. The burnt offering, which was all burnt. They got the, they got the skin of. And, and most of the offerings, they got a piece of that offering. So the priest ate a lot of meat. <laughs> You know, especially if they did a lot of work in the, in the temple and in, in the tabernacle, they got lots of meat. And if they worked on a, on a Passover or a Day of Atonement or any of the major major holidays, they got lots of meat because everybody was supposed to be there. So, <laughs> but it says that it belongs to them. And this is, in the New Testament, it, it's the same statement that the workman is worthy of his hire. And Paul told the, told the people that, you know, hey... These guys that are teaching you, that are preaching to you, they're worthy of being paid, okay? Because they were kind of going, well, you're doing this as a service to God. You don't, you know, you don't need anything. And and they, they were, and Paul just said, hey, no, that's the wrong attitude. Just like the priest, just like the ox, and the ox would grind grain. They said, don't, don't muzzle the ox. Let him eat of the grain that he's grinding. And so this is what God is saying. The priests are paid by these, are, are paid out of these offerings. And every man's hallowed thing shall be his. Whatsoever any man gives to the priest, it shall be his. All right, verse 11. We're going to go into a very interesting topic here. And we're going to read the end of the chapter and we'll, we'll see how far we get in it. <coughs> this is involving jealousy and jealousy offerings. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, "Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man's wife go outside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept closed, and, and she be defiled, and there be no witnesses against her, neither shall she be taken with the manor, and the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be def- and she be defiled, or the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled, then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and she shall bring and he shall bring her Offering for her a tenth part of an ephod of barley, and he shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord, and the priest shall take holy water in the earthen vessel, and the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it in the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head, and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering, and the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causes the curse. And the priest shall charge her by oath and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with you, and if you have not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of your husband, before you free from be you free from this bitter water that causes the curse. But if you have gone aside unto another instead of your husband, and if you be defiled and some man have lain with you beside your husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among the people, when the Lord doth make does make your right thigh to rot and your belly to swell, and this water that causes the curse shall go into your bowels and to make your belly swell and your thigh to rot, and the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall blot out them with the, with the bitter water, and he shall cause the woman to drink of the bitter water that causes the curse, and the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand, and, wave, and shall wave the offering before the Lord and offer it upon the altar. The priest, shall, the, the priest shall take the handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar, and afterwards shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he has made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that curses, causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her bed, belly shall swell, and her thighs shall rot, and the woman shall be, shall be cursed among her people. And if the woman be not defiled but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousy when a wife goes aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled, or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he be jealous over his wife, and he shall set the woman before the Lord and the priest shall ex- execute upon her all this law. Then shall the man be guiltless of, from iniquity and the woman shall bear, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. All right, we're going to look at this because this is very controversial, very harsh sounding incident uh, and huh nah. no <laughs> okay <laughs> they didn't stone her. they didn't stone her and that is the that is the penalty for adultery but why aren't they stoning her no witness no well no witness and they wasn't and they don't have the second party cuz you could not stone oh. just one party in the in it this is when, when Jesus was tempted and they brought the woman that they said was caught in the very act of adultery and they brought just the woman to Jesus. The very first question that should have been asked is, if you caught her in the act of adultery, where's the other party? Okay? Uh, because you could not kill that individual with just one, one person in the party. So
1: I heard she was set up.
0: She was probably set up by them. Like the guys, she was probably yeah. set up by the scribes and the Pharisees. It was probably one of them. But that's that's an assumption.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So it says, If a man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, which this this commit is literally to do a trespass against him is, is sexual sin, adultery. And a man lie with her carnally, and it be hid from your eyes of the husband, and it be kept closed or hidden, And she be defiled, and there are no witness against her, neither has she been taken in it. So this goes back to the fact she's not caught. Okay? Nobody saw her do it. Nobody caught her. Uh, They don't have the man. There's no proof of anything that's wrong. Okay? And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, the husband, and he be jealous of his wife. And we want to be careful because jealousy is not a good thing generally. There is a good jealousy. There is a good jealousy that says, and God's jealous over us. He is not going to allow somebody to pull apart the relationship. Good jealousy says that if somebody's flirting with your spouse, you're going to be a little upset about that because it's not right. Especially if they're enjoying it. Because that will lead to further problems. And it should not be done. It should not be enjoyed. And that's a good jealousy. No, no, no. You're not taking my... You know... You know, my, my spouse away from me. I'm not going to allow that. Now, jealousy can get really bad. You know, we've seen that happen. You see it all the time in the movies, too. You know, you get so bent out of shape. Where are you going tonight? Who are you going to be with? How, when are you going to be home? Okay, that gets to be a little too much on the jealous side. If you can't trust your spouse to go out, then you've got a problem. Okay? And in this case, the jealousy has come upon him. Now, think about this, where does jealousy lead? Does jealousy ever just kind of go away? Mm-mm. Very rarely. It usually gets worse. If somebody is jealous of somebody, they're gonna start watching them real close. You know, I saw you with that person uh, last night, what were you doing? I was just talk- we were just talking at the end of the Bible study. You know, it's, you know, uh, you know. And jealousy always intensifies if it's not corrected and not stopped. This is God's way to stop jealousy. You say jealousy rears its ugly head? Yeah. It's very ugly. And it is always ugly. It always turns out to be ugly. And this is God's way to stop the jealousy from uh, turning into a cancer. Okay? Uh, People have said, this is really harsh. Why would they do this? Well, if the person's innocent, there's no harshness to it at all. They don't come through with any problem at all. And this is God that's doing doing the doing the the testing. But this is God's way of saying, if somebody's really jealous, let's get it solved. <laughs> bring her bring this person in that they're jealous about and we will get it taken care of. And and you might say, "Well, why do, why aren't the men involved in this?" Well, because when we get down there you'll understand why the men aren't there because of the penalty on this is it has nothing to do with men. But you also want to understand that de- women during this period of time had no rights. They didn't own anything. They, they were, they were, they belonged, the woman belonged to her father until she got married, then she belonged to the husband. And we don't understand that now, and it's not nice, and I'm not even saying it was nice even there, but it was still better than what the world did in that day. The women really had no rights in, in the outside of the Jewish culture, and they would be used oftentimes as a, as a sex slave you know, in, the, in the family. Somebody comes to visit and you say, here, take, take, my, take my wife, my concubine, my daughter, and just have her for the night. And the woman had no say in the matter. So God's way was still better than what the rest of the world did. Okay? And remember, we talked about they're getting, to, they're getting ready to go into Canaan, which had no rules on sexuality at all. Now, they didn't even have names for all the different things that we call sin. Okay, so God's ways, as harsh as they sometimes seem in the Old Testament, were still very much protective of them compared to what they had. So the husband's jealous, and he, and he is to take his wife into the priest. He is to bring an offering. And do you recognize what kind of offering this is? And it says that he will take a tenth part of the, an ephod of barley, but we shall pour no oil or frankincense on it. Does anybody remember what offering that would be with the oil and the frankincense? her weekly, uh, twelve loaves. Well, they oil. did the loaves, but this is a specific offering. Um, the, the meat offering. The, the meat offering or meal offering. Okay, so she's bringing a meal offering without the oil. And what's the oil represent? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. What does frankincense represent? The prayers and the offer and the prayers of the people. Okay. So she comes in with an offering, and it's going to be for the iniquity. And the priest sits her down. He takes holy water. Now this is water that comes from the laver that they that they use to wash their hands for service. And then he's going to pick up dust off the ground <laughs> in the tabernacle and add it to this water. Uh, now, yeah, I'm what? sure it's not, well, what? not adding enough to make mud, but it is not the best, it won't be the best drink you've ever ever had. Okay. So we've got this water and this dust. What does dust represent?
1: Man.
0: Well, man is made of dust.
1: <laughs> man,
0: from dust you came and dust you shall return. And dust represents death. Okay. In this case, I don't believe that it's physical death that it's referring to because this is in the tabernacle. I believe it's a spiritual death. It's represents the cross of Jesus Christ and that and the sins being crucified. So he's trying to bring that that aspect out. All right, so they have this drink. The priest sits the woman down, uncovers her head. A covering in the Bible always talks about submission to authority. So temporarily, when she's going through this process of being accused of, basically being accused of adultery, she has her head uncovered. She is, the authority of her husband is being removed for her during this test because this is what the test is. Are you still under authority or are you not? And that's what it's all about. And they remove the covering. They put the offering in her hands, and then he has the, 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 the bitter water, the water that's been made bitter with the, with the dirt, the dust. And the priest says, if no man has lain with you and you have not gone aside into uncleanness with another man instead of your husband, be you free from this bo- bitter water and it shall not curse you. So the pronouncement starts with the positive side. If you're innocent, nothing's going to happen. And this, this is hard to understand. Why would God do all this? We don't know. But it's his way to stop jealousy. Stop the jealous spirit. Because if she passes this test, the husband's got to, got to understand you were wrong and you were too jealous. Quit being jealous. If she succumbs to this test, then he's been right and she has got a, quite a punishment ahead of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says in verse 20, But if... You have gone aside to another instead of your husband, and you have been defiled, sexually defiled, and some man has sexually lain with you beside your husband. Then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing, and the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord make you a curse, literally excrement. Okay, he's going to say you're, you're, you're no better than dung. If, if this is true, you're going to be as dung and an oath among your people, a curse among your people, when the Lord makes your thigh to rot. Thigh here literally is the seat of procreation or your womb. Okay? So if she, has, if she has been guilty, God is saying on this curse, you're not going to be able to have any children from this point forward. What's your say in there? You have a look on there.
1: No, I was I was thinking thigh. They were talking about thigh at first. I no, they're
0: talking inner inner yeah, thigh. Yeah, the yeah, the yeah.
1: whole
0: area of uh, yeah. Your legs will fall well, away. Yeah. Swell, no. and then your abdomen will swell. Now this is this is literally that their their womb will spell will swell up. Uh, now how this happens in fast? Who knows how God did it? It would. But it was to be, that would be the outward show that she was guilty. The inward show was that she has lost her womb. She will not be able to have children anymore. She has lost the ability to procreate because of her adultery in there. Very powerful curse on the woman who who is doing something that has caused her husband to be jealous and this water shall cause the curse that that causes the curse shall go into your bowels and make your belly to swell, swell and your and your seed of procreation to rot and the woman is to say amen amen she's supposed to be in agreement with all of this and what does amen mean so be it so be it or yes truly in agreement so the woman is there she's to she's to understand that hey you know if I am innocent, I have no problems okay and if I'm guilty, I don't think she's going to be saying amen, amen at this point. She's going to be kind of very worried at this point. Uh, because she's looking at a pretty pretty severe punishment. Verse 23, and the priest shall write the, these curses in a book, and she'll blot them out with the bitter water. So he writes out all this curse that he's just pronounced. Then he takes the water, and he obliterates the, the words on the paper. And because he's basically saying, if you're if you're we're going to know whether you're guilty or innocent, real quick. And if you're guilty, we're going to know it. And if you're innocent, we want no record of it. All right. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causes the curse, and the water that causes the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. So it, it has a bitter taste at first, no, no, no consequence other than the bitter taste. Now, uh, that's To me, bad enough, because I don't like bitter stuff very often, uh, other than the fact that I love lemon water, which a lot of people think is bitter, but I love it. So I guess sometimes I do like bitter, but this is to be bitter. It's to be harsh a little bit when it first is drunk. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering, that, that meal offering without the oil and without the frankincense, and he offers it, and he sprinkles some on the fire and burns it. And then the priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial of it, and, and burn it upon the altar. And after that, he causes the woman to drink the rest of the water. So she ends up drinking the entire amount, however big the you know, earthenware. They say earthenware, which kind of indicates some kind of bowl, a clay bowl, which could be big or little. But I don't think it's a very big bowl. And she drinks the whole water. She has to completely drink this whole thing. And the offering's been made in between. Well, it's the idea to make somebody. It is designed to make them sick. And when she, he has made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and done trespass against her husband, that the water will cause the curse, shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell her Seed of, seed of procreation shall rot or fall away, and this woman shall be cursed among her people. It becomes very clear. So whatever, whatever that swelling was became very clear. And God says at that point, she was defiled. At that point, she is kicked out of the camp. She is sent away from everybody. All for the possibility of a mo- you know, just a few moments of pleasure. And then she is Kicked out of the camp, and rejected. And very important on this, and it says, if the woman be not defiled but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. So it's almost like this would be a good way if you wanted to have kids. Go get accused of being being an adulterer and not being, then you're gonna have have kids. I don't know. We don't want to go that way, but 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 it says that you know if she is clean, she her reward for being clean is going to be. That the extra proof will be that she's gonna have a child. She can conceive children. She's not gonna lose procreation. And remember, for in this time frame, every woman wanted to have children because that proved that she was a woman. You know, that she was a grown up. She wasn't, she wasn't a girl, she wasn't a, she wasn't a bad person. And it hasn't been so many years ago that that was the desire of most girls, you know, was to grow up and be a mother. And we see it all through the scriptures. Uh, Samuel's mother goes into the, tabern- you know, the, temple, the tabernacle praying and weeping because she does not have a child. Elizabeth and Zechariah praying for a child. Uh, we see it all through the scriptures where somebody is just begging for a child. Rachel wants a child. So she wants a child so bad that she accuses uh, Jacob of, of not giving her one on purpose. Uh, you know, and, and he gets angry back at her, rightfully so. You know, it's, you know, this is his favorite wife. He loves her, and she's accusing him of not trying to have children with her. And we see this whole desire that you had to have children. And even for, especially for Jewish women, a male child was even better because it might be this Messiah. You were always looking at the idea that if you had a male child, you might be giving birth to the Messiah. So were, for the Jewish women, it was that. Uh, other... Pagan ones who wanted a, child, a male child because that's how your lineage in most countries went was male to male. and so. But here we are. The jealousy fell on them and if they were guilty God showed their guilt and they were rejected by their people completely. For just a momentary sin they would be rejected completely and there was no they were kicked out of the camp. Doesn't mean that God wouldn't forgive them but their penalty was to be kicked out of the camp. And you want to think about this. this was in a day and age where to be outside of the camp was extremely dangerous. There's no police, there's no army out there. You depended on your neighbors to help protect you in the middle of an attack. And if you're outside the camp, you have no such protection. And especially for a woman out there, no protection at all. So, and it was bad enough for a man because how do you sleep? You know, you, you, know, you fall asleep and you're, and you're one person outside the camp you're not gonna be able to defend yourself if you're, if you're taken. She'll look for a boyfriend. Yeah, uh, maybe, uh, outside the camp.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, but this, this whole process was designed to get rid of the cancer of jealousy, to solve it, to say, this is the end. God did not, did not swell up the belly, did not, did not uh, destroy the womb, this person is innocent. God, uh, or God did, she was guilty. And we, so you had to wait to confirm or, you know, prove or disprove your thoughts. So this is a very critical way that God says, "I'm going to stop jealousy by this process," because otherwise jealousy just, you know, swells up until the point when it explodes. You know, and as, as Mark said, you know that that angry head of jealousy pops up. You know, the mean nasty green-eyed monster pops up that won't let anybody go anywhere and and oftentimes these murders and families have, an ad, have a part of jealousy. They were so jealous that they just said, well I want to we'll end everybody's life and we'll get it over with. And so this was a way to end that cancer of jealousy. And it said that the man's going to be guiltless and the woman shall bear her iniquity if it's if it was valid and, and correct. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this. We thank you that you care so much for your people, that you give us ways to understand and to move forward, that you ask us to, to keep the camp clean and keep our lives clean, and, and that you don't desire anger and bitterness and jealousy to be,
1: be found among us, and that you want to be able to fix those. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.